0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a great blessing to be able to reach out to my congregation as well as to our Saints Network family whom God has positioned throughout this great nation of ours as well as throughout the world. Greetings to everyone. And may God bless you in uh, whatever uh, whatever measure you really need a touch from him today. Uh, just as a side note for my congregation, uh, remember that this evening we are going to engage in uh, a measure of uh, prayer from our homes or for, from wherever you are. Uh, elect to connect via the Zoom link which is sent you. And if you're totally perplexed by that outline of, of what is coming tonight, please review your emails and I'm sure it will become very clear for you. Today we want to look at a passage of scripture that is well known to us, but we want to look at a particular facet of it in a deeper way than we ever have before. And this passage is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. This scripture is your outline for today. So there is no teaching sheet, so please don't be searching for it in vain because it's not there. We're just going to talk from the Word. We're going to go old school today. And uh, I I really love that Um, it's the way I was raised. I I just love uh, to look into the Word and just let it be my source. And so that's what we're going to do today. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15, verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the Saints. That's the title of our message today, Perfecting, and we're going to talk about that in depth. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now we shared over the past couple of weeks about the development of uh, what the church should become on their pathway to becoming sons. We looked very meticulously and in depth at the progression that is clearly laid out in scripture as to how a person, when they become born again, uh, and that is essential. I'm not demeaning that. I'm just saying that's a beginning point. It's not an end point. That person is classified as a, as a babe. And we looked at the, the passages that speak about the characteristics of being a baby. And then we also looked at the progression that is clearly outlined in the Word of how we are to grow and to develop, taking responsibility for what God has given us individually and in the place where he's called us to serve. And then we began to look into what it means to be a joint heir with Christ. That is a tremendous, a tremendous thing, and we need to continue to let that, that very clear teaching from the scripture permeate every part of us as we grow into him and some of the things that we just read spoke about how we should not remain as children and that we need to grow and develop into him in all things even christ I don't need to reteach that. If you perhaps did not hear those teachings, they are readily available for you on this website. You can look at the progression on Spotify. You can look at it um, and, and go into the archives and hear those teachings. So today, the Lord really highlighted this 12th verse to me. And it's right on the heels of the fivefold offices being uh, spoken of. And we have done a lot of teaching over the years concerning what these five entail, the characteristic definition of them through the scripture, how they work together, what each of them means. And largely, we have delineated that some people uh, minister in one of these amazing gift uh, dispensations, some in all five, some in various dimensions of each. But the thing we highlighted was that whenever you see a five in scripture, uh, whether it's from the Old Testament or into the New, you recognize that it is characteristic of the thought process of God, God makes His statements and His promises in fives, and this is really the um, the defining measure of what the mind of Christ is. Whenever God is wanting to do something, whenever He is wanting to to detail a specific word to you, it's it's going to in one way or another, be in a five-fold measure. It's based off the pastoral inclination, which involves prayer. It involves submitting yourself to the Lord. It involves submitting your gifts to the Lord. It's, it involves surrendering yourself to the timing of God. And from that measure of commune and identity as his church, God then begins to give you clarity. And the teacher gift comes about. And uh, there, there are measures, uh, uh, the evangelistic capacity where things are coming onto line. Uh, you are you're hungry in the passion of the Lord to move forward. Uh, it, is, it is a great impulse of the Spirit. And the prophetic will begin to keynote specific things from what we just said that are of utmost importance at this time. And from that, Usually one major uh, one major target of the Spirit of the Lord begins to emerge from his throne, and that's the apostolic target. The, the apostle, that mindset is the post coming from. What is God saying? What is God wanting to do? And for some reason, this gets really confusing to people, and I really don't understand it, because we apply this in every other part of our life. We really do. Who, what, when, where, and how. I mean, we, we've studied that from the time we were kids, and we we get our mindset set on something. It emerges out of who we are, the setting we're in. We begin to study about that. We begin to learn about what it is we want to do. We have pangs of impulse toward getting it done. And that drives us to greater measures of discovery. Then we begin to deduce how we're going to do this. And we always keep our mind on the target or the thing we want to do, the thing that we just have to have. You live that. And here in, in the perfected form, the divine form is, is, the, is the onus of that kind of thought. So this should not be confusing to anybody unless you just want to make it confusing. This this is not just this is the mind but it's also the the things that God puts in place in people through his giftings through his callings to accomplish his mind and it's wonderful. So after you see this fivefold enunciation Verse 12 says, for the perfecting of the saints. That's the first thing that is said. We've recognized, we call ourselves the saints network. We've recognized what saints or hagias means and the derivations of that mean in the New Testament. It really is a variation of an Old Testament word. And uh, I'm not going to recreate this teaching because you saints should know this. It is a devotion to what God has ordained to do. It is a commitment to what his foundational purpose is. Very much aligned with Abba prayer, very much aligned with the, with the compulsion of agape love. But uh, the, the hagias is, is a, a strong commitment to what God has ordained to do from the foundation of the world. This is how we pray before the throne. This is why the angels say this word, holy, 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 because they too are committed to doing this. The saints are in the church. They are a part of the church. The Apostle Paul and other writers in the New Testament under the anointing of the Spirit clearly delineate the saints as being within and a part of the general church. They are distinct uh, they're a distinct group. To me, I believe they're like a special forces unit that should be in the church. Another group that is clearly de- delineated in, in the midst of the church is the, the spiritual ones or the pneumatikos, those who have teaching capacities, who grasp the deeper things of the word and insist upon them being applied. That should be there. The prophetic voice should be there. The apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, I am giving you words, and if there's any spiritual or prophet among you, let them attest that what I'm saying is true. Sadly, though, these terms and these qualities have been blurred over the years. I remember being in seminary, in uh, the premier seminary of a major Pentecostal movement where I earned my master's degree, and I remember hearing this a respected teacher and I don't mean to cast aspersions on him at all but he was trying to define what the spiritual ones were and he just said that these we don't really know what they are uh, they're just people who really are faithful well I'm sure they're faithful I even read his books and I read other books from this uh, from Pentecost uh, scholars And even amongst the Baptists, nobody, nobody was saying what the pneumonikos really is. And if you just look at what it is, it's somebody who's a specialist in the deeper things of the Spirit. That's what the word means. But it's largely moot within the church, and that's a shame because it's everywhere in the word. Same is with these saints. Now, some would say, well, you know, I don't, I don't like that. It's putting division within the church. It's putting one group over another group. It's, uh, it's a source of pride. Well, it could be. But then again, in every other walk of life, if you don't have somebody that's pressing toward things that are not known to create and to uh, introduce improvements in society... We don't say when the Apple phone came out, oh, you know, look at those people over there, they just think they're better than everybody else. We say, well, thank God for this. I mean, this has revolutionized life. That could be used in a bad way, but it's done that. I heard this past week of an amazing breakthrough medically where they had done a test study of a drug specifically to treat a specified point of cancer and in in every case it seemed to bring a cure that's amazing that's amazing but we don't say all oh, those people that study that i mean who do they think they think they're better than other doctors you know we should just go back you know my grandpappy believed in leeches and bleeding people out and was good enough for him. It's good enough for me. We don't say that. We have to have the best and the newest. But when it comes to the church, we sit back on our laurels and we say, Well, you know, it's good enough for Grandma. It's good enough for me. Tried and true. We should be growing. The Word of God is alive. And these specialists that are clearly earmarked in the church have largely been unknown and in fact when you start to when you start to say I want to be what the word says here you get lots of blowback from people why is that? well we've had a lot of experience at this and we're human too in the first place if you've got somebody who has power and position they don't want to be nudged in any way Now, if it's their idea, great. But whenever something new happens, the people who are in power are either going to embrace it or oppose it. Look at all the inventions that have happened throughout. You know, Westinghouse, where I'm from in Pittsburgh, George Westinghouse, he invented the air brake for trains. And he was fired because of that. And then he went on to develop it. On It was the best thing that could happen to him. He also went toe-to-toe with Edison on electrical current. And he basically put forward uh, how our modern cities are uh, accessing electric. And Edison didn't like the way he wanted to do it. Tesla started working with Westinghouse, and they brought it about. Um, Westinghouse is also known now for building nuclear reactors around the world. Um, somebody's got to press the envelope, and we should not balk at that. But yet, when you start talking about these things that are in the Word, listen, I can give you testimonies, which I won't, concerning the the hellacious way we were treated by brethren, and when, when I would talk from the Scriptures, they'd look at me like a cow that was staring at a new gate, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm just saying that the Word of God should be our proof text. And if there's something in the Word, whether you, are, you feel the inclination to move forward into that particular move, we're not saying do away with the general church. There are clearly lines of delineation. But we're saying let the saints be saints. Let the pneumatikos be pneumatikos. Let the prophets be the prophets. Let the the apostles be the the apostles. There's been such a blur on the definition of what an apostle is. You know, when I was in these same schools, we were told that there is no such thing as an apostle anymore. The closest we have is a missionary. Well, that is, 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 as Harry Truman would call it, that's baloney. Harry Truman would probably have other words to describe it. And uh, I remember one time reading in his uh, journals, about he was speaking to a woman's group, President Harry Truman, and he kept talking about uh, how that uh, things that would oppose a certain policy he was bringing was just manure, M-A-N-U-R-E. You can look that word up, Luke. And some older lady leaned over to Bess Truman and his Harry Truman's wife and said, you know what, I love your husband, but I really wish he'd stop using that term, manure. And Miss Truman leaned over to her, and she said, "Well, you know what? I suggested that word. It's a lot cleaner than the word he was using. You know, and I I think I think that that is, uh, you know, you've got to call a spade a spade, and if you if you just dodge and ignore things, then there's you leave room for the enemy to create false narratives, and so today." everybody seems to be an Apostle you can't swing a a wet towel without hitting one and they think that it's just somebody that's got the the anointment or somebody that can gather a large group of people that's not an indication of an Apostle look at the scripture you read about what Paul said an Apostle is and his first sign is patience and he he talks about the price he has to pay for being a pioneer Um, Well, anyway, I went off on a tangent. But here in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, we read about the perfecting of the saints. Now, what does that mean? Why is that right at the beginning following this description of the release of the fivefold? Well, we just talked about what the saints were. What does it mean to say that the first thing that this fivefold... Uh, revelation and did my gift from God why is this at the beginning because first of all this work has to begin in the saints secondly because they have faithfully worked it through with God and overcome in it they can then release the uh, the the fruits of that labor and then make disciples who will also partner before the throne in extrapolating from that so this term perfecting we're just we're just going to have a little definition speech here so you may want to get your pencil pen out and um, you may want to if you type your notes, you may just want to do this because I'm going to talk about things we never talked about here regarding perfecting. Now, don't be like some people. Don't you hate it sometimes, where you're just clearly saying, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to." And people are just looking at you. And then after you've said it all, they say, "Okay, now what is it that you want to do?" And you think, "Why weren't you writing this down as I was saying it?" So here we go. This is the word. Catartismos. And it means to complete or to fully furnish something. This particular derivation is only used here. Now, this word comes from a root very clearly, everybody agrees from the word a row. A R O. Alpha Rho. Omega and it means to fit together or to prepare something and I'm going to tell you some things about how this word was used in the earliest understandings in the Greek language when the people then before the scriptures were written used this word okay because the spirit is the author of Ephesians, and this word being used is a carefully selected word. So, this word in the days of Homer, uh, not Simpson or Homer and Jethro, indicate what something is properly fitted or suitable, right, or perfect in its place. There was also a a verb that flowed out of this that meant to make something even or to fit properly, to complete something or to finish a work. In another way, it was used to put things in order or to restore peace or to restore. Something so that it was in flawless working order. And some of the writers then in the early Greek writings, they would talk about something being made ready or to be furnished. It also would speak about being trained or instructed so that somebody could depict this same skill set or this same explanation to others so that they could benefit from function and furnishing and a peaceful measure of utilization. There was also a recording, a a record of this, written record of this from the standpoint of athletic training. And uh, the, the person who used the word wrote that the trainer took hold of my, I'm just quoting this, took hold of my neck and fixed and adjusted it um, and then did the same with my waist and shoulders, putting them in their proper positioning. Almost sounds like a chiropractor. Almost sounds like a, a, prep, a, a personal trainer or somebody that was trying to align the body for its, for its best use medical writers then also use this term to speak about setting dislocated bones or any other part of um, the 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 physical uh, body that somehow was misaligned and uh, then in the schools uh, they would also speak in the medical training to 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 speak of this word in instruction or education. Now, that's how this word, katartismos, was used. And we're going to talk a little bit further about it from other variations, roots of this word, how it's used in Scripture. But when God said through Paul, in this signature passage about growing in God from babies to mature ones, um, the stature of the fullness of Christ, he says that the fivefold is going to come and be utilized in the saints, so let's put some of these, let's just say it in our words. Let's just put this definition together. This fivefold Mindset, this fivefold understanding, these fivefold gifts, this fivefold grasp of how God speaks a thing and what He wants to do, is first going to work on the saints, those people who are partnering with the angelic to bring about things that God Almighty has ordained from the foundation of the world that currently are dislocated or misaligned. Or misunderstood not properly fitted not functioning in a way that brings peace or victory um, these saints are gonna have this done in themselves they're going to be trained they're going to be instructed they're going to be adjusted and refined they're going to be furnished they're going to be put in order They're going to be made suitable for the master's purpose so that they can then demonstrate, they can impart, and they can train and make disciples. To all of you saints, is this not what God has been doing since we began this path Twenty-six years ago. Of course, it is. All of these facets, being adjusted, being refined, being trained, being schooled, being, uh, being, uh, those that would would want to see this fivefold development through the Scripture, and it's everywhere. Trying to. Uh, learn and identify specific giftings in people and to help them to grow. Now, we're not going to make them grow. They've got to do it themselves once it's identified. You know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. You can tell people what their giftings are and they can clearly say it, but if they just sit there and expect you to develop them, it ain't happening. You got to do it, you got to be it. You don't want to be what somebody else is. You want to be what God's made you to be. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And you've just got to... Paul was a teacher. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. or We wouldn't have most of the New Testament. So the saints are the recipients of this. And... They also, then, are to teach it. Now, before we keep moving with the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body, let's look at some of the other ways this word and its root are used in the New Testament. Um, Acts 21, verse 5, from this catartizo and... exartizo. It's used to describe the completion of days, a a fulfillment of an allotted time frame. In 2 Corinthians 13.9, the apostle uses catartesis when he prayed for the reader that they would know perfection or a measure of restoration. In second, uh, the second uh, d- dimension of this katartizo, in Matthew 4:21, it was used to describe what happens in everyday life. James and John, with their father Zebedee, were preparing the fishing nets, and what what were they doing? They were, they were looking at the net. Uh, re attaching parts that may have broken free observing what had become threadbare and maybe replacing it making sure that that fishing net was ready for use and that if there was a part of it that was out of alignment or not functioning they would bring it back into line and Jesus in Luke 6:40 Used this expression in a general principle when he said that the students would be fully trained or prepared like their teacher. Usually the verb form of this spoke uh, about the need for spiritual maturity or restoration of a deeper walk. First uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10 spoke about being joined in the same mind. Otherwise other words completely united uh, 2 Corinthians 13 11 spoke about be restored to mend your ways uh, Galatians 6 1 uh, the pneumatikos goes and restores one that has failed 1 Thessalonians three ten, Paul wrote to the church and he spoke about wanting to complete what was lacking in their faith Hebrews thirteen twenty one, may God equip you or make you complete. Um, And even in 1 Peter 5.10, the reader would go through, was said by Peter to be experiencing a period of suffering, but God at the end of it, victoriously will himself restore, support, strengthen, establish. You've got your Bible program. You can look these up if you weren't writing them down. You can go back and archive, listen to me twice as fast, and they're there, but it's easy to study this, saints. It is clear that the words in this group were appropriated by the New Testament writers, especially Paul, to express concepts related to Christian growth, whether in the context of problems that needed to be remedied or in connection with training for service, or more generally, to encourage spiritual maturity. Now, I, that last paragraph I just said was directly out of the New International Dictionary of Theological Exegesis. I don't think those boys are spiritually, I, I don't really know them. Uh, they may, I, I think they just may be uh, etymological eggheads. I don't know if they're spirit-filled. But if they wrote that, and we know what it's, what it's where it's being applied, even these deep scholars of the etymology of words knows that's what it means. And the final scripture we want to look at before we go back to Ephesians is 2 Timothy 3, uh, where it speaks about the word of God. All scripture, verses sixteen and 70, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, For instruction in righteousness, that the man or the servant of God may be perfect. There's that derivation of the root. This is artios from arrow. And this is the essential thing of what we've been talking about. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, so this, the perfecting of the saints is something that we must see because it really denotes the work of the saints it it denotes what god has been doing in us and how has he been doing it we how what has been our pathway you've lived it together with me we've not found this written in some Wind of doctrine book from somebody, and we say, "Oh, this is the latest, greatest thing. We've got to do it." Bible says, warns us. Children do that; they're blown about by every wind of doctrine. And you know, people who write books—I'm oh, not faulting anybody—but it's it's money maker. Uh, I remember I've told this story: my brother Paul Harrison and I were meeting with a phenomenal prophet. We're so thankful for his ministry. Uh, Bill Bishop Bill Hammond from Christian International, we were sitting there with him, an appointment that God graciously arranged for us. We just wanted to meet him, and he was having his lunch. It was at a conference, and he was talking to us, and of course, if you know Bishop Hammond, he was prophesying, and we were trying to remember all the things he was saying as he was eating his red beans and rice. It was really a, a, a really wonderful memory but across the room there were some very significant people who were well known throughout christianity and they were meeting with a publisher and the publisher was saying to them now this is what we have deduced is the is the thing that that that, that most of our readership are going after right now and this is exactly what they were saying and um, we believe that this is where the sales are gonna be coming from. We've, got, we've projected this, so we're encouraging you to write about these topics. I was listening to Bishop Hammond, and in the midst of him taking a bite, I could hear this going on. And I'm not trying to be critical, but what I'm saying is that there's, even if it's a good teaching a lot of it is put forward because that's what's happening. That's, that's where people are what, clamoring for. It's the in thing, so get with it. We haven't done any of that. How have we done it? You know. We've been on our face praying. We've been trying to hear what the spirit is saying and then God guided us into truths in his word and we studied and we saw in the word principles and and wonderful uh, measures of the meat from the spirit of God that's in the word that we've not seen before. And, And again, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying this for any of you who may be listening and you don't know who we are. I grew up in the church. I grew up in Pentecost. I grew up memorizing scripture. I grew up studying scripture, hearing all the sermons, in Sunday school, in youth group, at camps. I heard it. I went to Bible college, got a degree in Bible study. I went to seminary, got a degree in scriptural study, in a master's degree. So, what I'm saying is, That When God revealed these things in his word through prayer, I knew what was not commonly taught. We weren't searching for it, but when you go out on a limb and you start saying, this is what the word says, you know you're going to be hit from every angle. So you study every jot and tittle, first of all, to please the Lord, but also that you can give a defense of what God is saying. What do you think Paul did when he went into cities and he met in the synagogues, and he went toe-to-toe with people about the law and about Christ. You've You've got to study to show yourself approved, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, this is how God revealed things. It was through the doing in intercession and obedience, and then studying, and then teaching from the word And then we would teach this. This is what we teach when God opens doors throughout the world. We're to make disciples of this. Intercession is the core. Finding your identity before the throne of God is essential. But this perfecting of the saints has been built upon prayer and the word, which if I remember my scripture... When there was a dissension among the Hebraic and the uh, Jewish widows, Peter stood up with John and said, you know what, I'm going to appoint people that are committed to this mission and they're going to deal with this. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the word. In most churches, prayer means getting a bunch of requests or building a prayer chain and just peppering God with, with needs. I understand the need to agree with people for their needs. But prayer, the first and foremost measure of prayer should be you submitting yourself to God, to His service. And that's where praying in the Spirit, praying in diversities of tongues where you're speaking directly to God, your spirit is praying, where you're praying mysteries, which is all what the Scripture says, that is the onus of our service. And through that, then, interpretation is granted. And uh, you learn a lot about what God is wanting to do through intercession and through obedience. This is the work of the saints. Now, when you have this perfecting of the saints both in the person, through the person, and from the person to others for the purpose of recruitment and training. It's for the work of the ministry. It's working to cause the ministry that God wants to begin to be done. The full counsel of the Word of God. And so that the body of Christ can be built up, oikodome, that what God ordained, the structure, the architectural structure, what God wanted from the foundation of the world of which we're part, that we would find our place and represent what the anointed son, Christ, is, because you are that. Christian is Christ-like. So when God gives his mind and he gives these amazing identities and he lets us understand things from a fivefold perspective, the saints are immediately going to be, you know, you can't teach something that you've not done. You can try, but it's not going to do much. If you've not overcome and you can't explain what you're talking about, you have no business teaching it. So the saints have to learn it, they have to do it, and then they have to pattern it, and they have to teach it. And all of this understanding that we have gone through, that put some of you asleep while we were doing it, is exactly what the Spirit says perfecting is. And then we see it begin to function in its work. It ain't easy. It's not just coming in, laying hands on empty heads, blowing a shofar, do a little dance, wave a banner, and vamoose, sell a couple of your books and go. It's work. I mean, it, it really is, but it's God's work. And then you're building up. You're seeing the structure of God, and He is the great husbandman. He is the one that's building Hopefully, if we do our job right, uh, the body of Christ. Yes, it's him. It's not by works. You know what I'm saying. But if, if you're not working this work of perfecting at the direction of the Spirit, you see, God has his ways. If you will, he will. Draw near unto me, I will draw near unto you. Build the altar first, then the fire will fall. You know that. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. But it's through faith. And what is faith? hearing instruction from God at his right hand, and going forth and walking it out. Faith without works is dead. So when God gives you something to do, you're going to have to work. But it's not because of your work, but it happens due to your work. Do you understand that? Then Paul comes back in verse 13. He wants... The Spirit wants all of us to have a harmony or an agreement in how faith should work among us. What's functioning from the throne of God? How is God, the the projects that he is delineating and authorizing, we're all in agreement with that. We're in accord, you know. We read about the early church on before the day of Pentecost. They were in one place and one accord. You think that was easy? There were over 500 of them that heard the angel say, go to Jerusalem and had seen Jesus rise into heaven. Why were there only 120 left just a few weeks later? Do your math. That's less, that's t- less than 25%. And they were offering supplication and prayer. That's where their accord came from. Well, look at it yourself. See if these things be so. Also, the knowledge of the Son of God. We're being trained to be sons through the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully we're being perfected. And the ultimate objective is to find our appointed place, measure, of the stature of the fullness of what Christ wants us to be. That's joint heirship with Christ. And this is what we need to do. And then Paul says, no more should you be children. And look at those things. Tell me if that is not what happens all the time tossed to and fro like a ship on the raging sea. Help me, help me, I'm about to lose everything. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, a lot of it by a sleight of man with cunning craftiness, waiting to deceive. You know, my father who had a lot of country wisdom, uh, he wasn't well educated, but I forget one time I came home and I I had something and I paid for and my dad said, they seen you coming. That's an old phrase. Pastor Pam and uh, Pastor Haley from West Virginia, you'll know what that means. And that means, you know, somebody set up a trap for you and you fell right into it. I, I don't know. I mean, this is very clear for me. But we need to recognize that the main agenda for this teaching is to add a structural component of understanding to what we do as saints this is the priority look look at that why didn't god say something real flowery and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers to take care of all of you babies to watch over you and to gently shepherd you on your path of life, waiting for that wonderful, blessed hope where we'll all one day be with God, with loved ones who had gone before, walking the streets of gold in eternity, having all of our questions in life answered then as God is wiping away all tears. Why didn't he say that? That's what the church would like to say after they dismiss. You know, we don't really have any prophets anymore. We don't have any apostles anymore. Evangelists are okay. Pastors, we have to have that. Teachers, yeah, we can use them too. But those other ones, forget it. Improper definitions of what these terms are and uh, eliminating some of them because we think we have all the gospel. And here Paul says, through the Spirit, for the perfecting of the saints. Somebody's got to get into the, the nitty-gritty and say things aren't perfect. Things need to be arranged. Things need to be prepared. Things need to be properly fitted. Things aren't functioning. They've got to be brought into their proper order. Things need to be adjusted. Uh, conditions need to be put in shape. We need to be repositioned. Dislocated things need to be put back in motion. And then we've got to pattern this, and this function, and we've got to instruct and teach. We've got to wait on God's timing. We've got to be those that uh, are, are being willing to suffer with Christ that we might also reign with him. Uh, we, we've got to then be established and strengthened and supported and restored through that process, that period of suffering. All these things are there. And I quote again through this wonderful resource that I'm so thankful for in study. Here's what these brethren say. I don't even know who they are, but this work has been around for a long time. And they do their diligence to etymologically speak about what these individual words in our Bible mean. Here it is. It is clear that it is clear not uncertain not iffy not hmm I have a check in my spirit about that it is clear that the words in this particular group what group? catartismos were appropriated by the New Testament writers especially Paul as ideally suited to express concepts related to Christian growth Whether in the context of problems that needed to be remedied or in connection with training for service, or more generally, to encourage spiritual function and maturity. Woo! You know, if I were an attorney, I would be citing this quote from an expert and have it entered into the record because this is absolute. It's not some wacky guy that went off the rails and left the movement and is being deceived by the enemy saying these things. This is what the scripture says. This is what the Spirit of God, the anointed Spirit of God, the inerrant and inspired author of this living word Inspired Paul the Apostle to write right after that same Spirit talked about the sacrifice of Jesus and him being caught up and it being pleasing to God and then God sending this fivefold mind of Christ ministry imperative and the first thing the Spirit says that needs to be done to begin to bring about why God did this. ...is the perfecting of the saints. we got a big job to do, don't we, folks? I think that... ...you know, you do and then you teach. I think that God is saying this rhema to us right now. And for all of you saints... As I've read through these definitions and the way they were used through the ancient Greek world and through the scripture, the only reason it really has the great meaning that it does to you is that you say, yeah, God did that in me. He's still doing it in me. Yeah, I've seen this this restoration happen. I've seen it be happening in the study of the word, in, in my own life and refinement, in the way that I have prayed and served God as an intercessor. I've seen it happen in the spirit realm. I've seen it happen in uh, visions and dreams. I've seen it happen as we've taught thousands, and I don't use that term loosely, thousands of saints around the world and hundreds of pastors and teachers around the world. I've seen it happen. You've seen this happen. And, the, and because you have done this obediently, under the tutelage of the Scripture, under the submission to the Spirit of God, decently and in order, you know that every one of these definitions is true. Because you've seen it happen. You've, you've experienced it. And I'm grateful for this. And, it, you know, in, in this world we're in today, there's such darkness and gross darkness and deconstruction of the word and welcoming of demonic doctrines and evil and wickedness being pro- promulgated in, from the White House to the, to the Congress to, to uh, government, city, mayors, and, and, and not just in our country, but around the world. You see it. And it is, does it surprise you that when you read in the book of Daniel, when he prophesied about the end times through divine and angelic inspiration, he talked about how the, the main opponent to the work of God in the end time would seek to wear out the saints. Does it surprise you that in the book of Revelation, the two groups that are constantly representing the kingdom throughout the book of Revelation are the saints and the prophets so much so that the queen of heaven wants to get drunk on the blood of the saints. Does it surprise you that when Satan is released at the mandate of God after the millennial reign, after a thousand years, the very first thing Satan does, read it in the scripture is he goes and he deceives people and as the sand of the sea, people around the world will follow him and they come to surround the camp of the saints. Why? Because God entrusts the saints with this vital work. You're called to be saints it is once delivered to you you can either accept it or ignore it god's not going to make you do it but it is a specialized group in the church and you can see why the enemy would hate this and and it's the angels i i you know many of you have always had spiritual giftings Um, and I, I knew them throughout my life growing up. I didn't understand what they were, and I didn't say a whole lot about them because people would brand you as being a nut. I had visions and dreams and angels would appear, and I just never said anything about it because I knew it was from God, but there wasn't a vehicle for it in my church, and I was smart enough to know for me to know and for somebody else to find out but when we started praying and we started committing ourselves at the time we didn't know we were fulfilling this work of saints nobody taught us nobody said friend let me tell you today about this it just was something that praise god the spirit began to teach us and we did and then we understood It doesn't surprise me that when we started this work as intercessors, that immediately then, the presence and the vitality of the angels were readily known among us. Why? Because they are called, read your Bible, to serve those that are the heirs of the kingdom. That's what they're called to do. They're serving the Father and they're serving alongside, but they're subservient to the ones that God gave himself for. To which of the angels at any time did he say, sit at my right hand? That's our privilege because Jesus won that privilege and we're grateful for it. This is uh, this is something that the angels cry. They, they say the word, holy, 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 which is hagias. They're crying out the ministry of that designates what God has called you to be, saints. And um, that's it. So this is nothing that we didn't already know. It's a bolstering and a galvanizing of a of a of a definition from a, a deeper way than we've said it. Thank God, as has always been the case. When God shows us something new. As long as we've been true to the scripture, it never contradicts the scripture. We don't, we we don't, I wasn't looking at any of this and said, hmm, well, I see what this guy says. What's totally different than what we're doing in a word meaning thing. They're not giving their opinions. They're just talking about what the words mean. I better scrap that out of there. Or boy, this says something totally different than what we've been doing. Hmm, Maybe mums the word on that. No. Everything we've said is directly out of four major um, lexicon works. And I'm grateful to study this. It, It enlivens my spirit. But it shines a light on what we've already been doing. And that's what makes it even more, so much more meaningful. I understand it because we've lived it in the Word before God. So this is a bolstering. This is a galvanizing. It should be an encouragement. So we want to continue to do this for our Father. And we want to do it in a more efficient way. In a more more amenable way. A better way than we've been. You, You keep on being perfected from glory to glory you're changed or at least you're supposed to be but this is God's word and it's a word for us today so i know you you probably want to go back and listen at least to this definition again but it's very clear we're on the right path saints i'm not saying it's easy not, but nothing of worth ever is. You know, some people say, well, brother, God's gift to me is free. He did it all for me. Yeah, he did. When you were born again, you did nothing to deserve that except for the love of God. And you accepted it as a free gift I readily admit that. But what happened then? Did you have to do anything? Or were you one of those people that just thought, I walk up the aisle, shake the hand of the pastor, I'm in. I don't have to do anything else. Once I was saved, I'm always saved. I can do anything. I can say anything. I don't have to do nothing. Are you one of those people? Or did you say, huh, now that I'm a Christian, I shouldn't really do this. Shouldn't really do that. I need to study the word. I need to be amongst God's people. I need to pray. I need to do good works for him. Uh, Yeah, I I really shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. Did that cost you anything? Which should. David said, I won't offer to God something that costs me nothing. So, yeah, it's free. But then it costs you. You die daily. You die on behalf of the testimony of the Lord. Well, I'm off into another message, and I'm way past time. I pray that this has been an edifying word for you. certainly was for me saints let's keep on being perfected saints let's keep doing the work of perfecting as the spirit guides us and saints let's keep patterning and training making disciples because we're the first line of application of the mind of christ and the fivefold offices god bless you don't forget my congregation tonight prayer Six o'clock. Check your email. Till next time, God bless you and goodbye.